0: from underneath the mango tree it's the digi please welcome two guys you do not want to see emerge from the ocean wade major and mark kaiser
1: can absolutely confirm that. I've seen Mark emerge from the ocean, and uh, it, is, it is not a pretty, pretty sight. It is ugly as can be. Corey, who sent that in to us?
0: That was sent in by Makoto Tsukushima, who did once see Wade and Mark emerge from the ocean and was never the same.
1: Yes, very true. Makoto, thank you. Um, there, there, is a, there is a man from Japan who is unafraid to make Japanese monster movie references, and I love that. Uh, that is awesome. So thank you, Makoto. That was a great, uh, great intro. Um, so, a uh, few things left over from last week. Had a really wait,
2: wait, 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 what are you doing? What? What? We have a very special person sitting next to us.
0: Look at that. Well, hello there, in- guest, guest person. Hello, DigiGods. Hello, DigiGods <laughs> audience. It's me, in the same room with Mark. Usually I'm here because Mark is not. This may, in fact, rip a hole. In the time-space <laughs> continuum, which will be interesting
1: because that's why I'm here to talk that's, about
0: time travel movies.
1: That is, in fact, so. This is our special guest, Tim Cogshell. Tim, uh, who has been a colleague and friend of ours, and especially of this podcast for many, many years. Tim, thank you for being here. We are actually uh, we're, we're uh, helping Tim out a little bit too. Tim, uh,
0: could you what is what is your um, What are your ulterior motives here today? So so I'm doing this little gig uh, over on our radio station, KPCC 89.3, where Wade and I do uh, share duties on Film Week. And and, and occasionally I do a little work for John Raby's off-ramp program uh, where I talk about uh, film and culture and other crap. Uh, a, A few weeks ago I talked about time travel movies. Uh, And I didn't get a chance to talk about everything that I want to talk about, and we don't really talk about TV on that show, so I want to talk about some uh, really neat uh, time travel episodes so the X-Files and things like that. So we're going to talk a little time travel movie today. That's that's what we're going to do. Bravo. A lot of fun. Looking forward to it. I'm not looking forward to it. You're not looking forward to it?
2: Tim's taking time away from me.
1: (laughs) Okay. Well. (laughs) My damn show. (laughs) All right. Fine. So be it. All righty.
2: But he's talking about time travel. May I just say that if one of the time travel movies is like The Terminator or Star Trek, I'm going to shoot you both. Uh There's way more stuff out there. No, no, like if your favorite time travel movie ever is like either a Terminator or a Star Trek movie, I'm just saying, it's going (laughs) to be lame because there's been too many of them.
1: Can I talk about, like, uh, you know... Time travel episode of Voice to Bottom of the Sea or something?
2: Well, yeah, because it's not oh, okay. Star Trek oh, okay. or Terminator, because oh. that's, that's the low hanging fruit okay. of time travel uh, uh, movies and TV shows.
0: Am I right, uh, Tim Cockshell? You are absolutely right, which is why I did not talk about them uh, in that episode of uh, John Raby's False frame Did not mention the Terminator films at all.
2: I like this Tim guy. I like the cut of his jib.
1: All right, fair enough. Fair enough, um, so let me uh, let me hit a couple of uh, anime titles that I did not get to last week real quickly, just to make sure everybody is uh, is on board and aware that these are out there. Black Butler, super cool artwork, super cool animation. these are all Funimation titles by the way. this is the the latest batch of Funimation, uh, which is just always amazing uh, it, it, with all due respect to everybody else that releases stuff on anime. Uh, Funimation really just gets the uh, the mother load of these titles. So uh, Black Butler, really, really cool kind of a uh, culty mood anime series. Uh, this is the uh, Book of Circus, and this is a Blu-ray and DVD combo pack uh, from the uh, Anaplex line, which is just really, really terrific. And then we've also got uh, Kamisama Kiss season two. Uh, this is the uh, this is the you know basically one of those um, alternate fantasy world uh, shows. Uh, takes place in the uh, in, in one of those kind of um, uh, Lord of the Ringsy environments. Uh, not quite human characters. A little bit mythological gods and demons and spirits and all that kind of stuff. That's a fun show. Much more hard is uh, Garo, the animation season one part one. These are twelve episodes on a Blu-ray and DVD combo pack of uh, a really, really, uh, rather extraordinarily creative but uh, violent fantasy series. That uh, I, wanna, I don't want to. I don't want to put this into that uh, giant robot and Gundam suit uh, classification, but it's it's kind of like a fantasy spin on that and. Uh, it uh, you know demons and monsters and um, and you know strange armor covered knights and, and and things of that sort. Um, it's kind of like a like cyberpunk fantasy in a way. I, maybe the best way that I could do it. But the uh, the, the the golden armor that uh, is, is animated here is rather extraordinary. It reminds me a little bit of. Uh, a little bit of the way that the armor was shot in Excalibur. you guys remember the way the armor was shot in Excalibur by Alex Thompson? Very, it's just with all that glittering, almost like aluminum. Yeah, it was it was like glowing almost. They yeah. somehow, without CGI, got this like golden green glow out of it. Anyway, there's a lot of that. There's that kind of vibe here going, pretty cool. Rage of Bahamut Genesis, uh, pretty also pretty violent, but also uh, really really well, well animated uh a bounty hunter adventure really pretty cool um if you like you know that kind of thing fairy tale on blu-ray and dvd this is the 20th volume of this thing that just will not go away t-a-i-l um it's a fun series but man i'm i'm checked out at this point i've i've seen maybe 30 or 40 episodes and uh that's enough for me so some people are a lot more hardcore 20 sets this thing is just has a following that will not stop uh season 1 of shonen hollywood holly stage for 49 uh one of these you know more the um this is more in the youth sector again the uh, those youth oriented anime series which i don't particularly really get or enjoy this is a bunch of guys as opposed to a bunch of girls for a change looking to become uh, a super group and uh you know it's not really i don't know why they they put this stuff in anime but there's a following for it so how about it um gonna be the twin tail why do they have titles like this uh very very strange female superheroes awfully cute cool outfits um you know they all go to high school it's that whole scene there's a lot of that in anime they uh you know they're they're teen they're cute they got big eyes big heads and they they they're they're heroic uh rock on um Let's see. And then uh Psycho Pass. This is another popular series. Psycho Pass, the movie on a Blu-ray, DVD, and Ultraviolet set. The uh, Ultraviolet is a relatively new advent for Funimation, so uh, if you are an Ultraviolet fan, just know you are able now to begin adding ult, uh, Funimation anime titles to your Ultraviolet library. Uh Psycho Pass is a good one. This is a really, really cool, well-animated, very intelligently written science fiction series. Um... Let's see, the last couple here, uh, Boy and the Beast, Blu-ray, DVD, and Ultraviolet set. Uh, this is kind of old school, uh, a lot of cool kind of fantasy samurai stuff going on in this one, a um, little, little bit of cyberpunk, um, all kind of blended together in this really, really cool uh, alternate universe. That's a lot of fun. And then lastly, the uh, also with Ultraviolet, is The Girl Who Leapt Through Time, from the amazing animator Mamoru Hosoda, which is uh, really, really a, quite a wonderful story. Uh, this is a, 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 one of those youth things again, but it's one that uh, I find actually very well written and beautifully uh, kind of put together, about a girl who discovers that she has... A, the ability to leap backward in time, Tim Interesting. interesting. There's Very your time great travel great. thing. The girl who leapt through time. So and, yeah, really cute just, outfit, or, uh, and the cute outfit, the the, the schoolgirl thing that is uh, so fetishized internationally. But yeah, so uh, at my house. <laughs> but anyway, so she can time travel, and uh, that that the way that that's juxtaposed over the uh, the the all these youth issues that are always kind of these teen issues that are always at the center of these things. Very very nicely done. So that's uh, that's our that is our anime from Funimation for this week. Um. Mark, we had a very interesting listener mail that uh, we didn't have time to get to last week. Uh, and you may have a comment on this, because you and I have both been to Cannes.
2: Correct. correct?
1: And uh, Cheval Dixon wrote us an email and said, I had followed the Fuhrer over the Cannes Film Festival this year, and I had you not... You followed Hitler? You... Fu- fu- <laughs> no, no, no. Cheval Dixon is not a fu- Why is
2: Chevelle Dixon following Hitler? All the way to the south of France. Uh, is he not dead? He's hiding out in the south of France?
1: Okay. He's in I oh. had... F- I had followed the furor (laughs) over the Cannes Film Festival this year, and I had not seen so much dislike for the Palm uh, winner in a while. What past Palm winners have had this much dislike to your memory? Keep up the good work. Uh, So thank you, Chevelle, for really a good question. Mark, in your years at Cannes, was was there any outcry or uproar over the Palm winner?
2: Well, Fahrenheit 9-11.
1: Which, which see that year, I thought that that uh, old boy really should have been the winner, which they gave the runner-up award.
2: Right, but that's something where you know that one fell right on that political divide, right? It was incendiary. Everyone was talking about it. If you're of this political stripe, you thought it was the, you thought it was gone with the wind. If you th- if, if you were of the other political stripe, you hated it on its face. Yeah, and that was the one that I thought, wow, that was really a bold stroke.
1: You, you know, um, it, it's interesting because uh, I, I went back and I was like, well, you know, I, I, it's hard for me to speak to a lot of the earlier palm winners if you go back into, in, you know, 50s, 60s, uh, even the 70s. Uh, I wanted to sort of see if there was anything that I had missed. And I, I, since I've been following the Palm d'Or, which is pretty much since about 1980, that's when I really started following it. Um, but uh, the, there have been quite a few that are really kind of a, uh, incredibly disliked. The biggest one was Under the Son of Satan when Maurice Piala won for Under the Son of Satan starring uh, Gérard Depardieu. Um, that was a big deal. Uh, now, that's coming out on Blu-ray, and we're going to be talking about that uh, at some point very soon. But the, um, that film was booed at its first screening. And Piala, very successful, very popular French filmmaker, now deceased, but that was booed at its first screening. And when it went on to win, people were, for whatever reason, in an uproar. I don't remember why people hated it so much, but they really hated it. And when PLA went up to accept and said, uh, cinema is dead, that just added to everything. You know, that just made everybody really, really pissed off. So uh, Under the Son of Satan is probably the most controversial and disliked of all of those. Um, There was one in the mid-1970s called Keeper of Promises, an Algerian film. Not very popular, but I wouldn't say it was hated. Uh, and last year, uh, Jacques Audiard's Deepon was not particularly liked. That it was not, not liked. It was not liked. People thought that was a weak. That was weak sauce. They they kind of felt like okay, that was and that's when this disconnect. Like the can equivalent of *Oscar So White* is um, you're not picking what the critics like. Like, there's this disconnect between the jury and the critics, and, and people are like, why is it, and, and they even ask the Coen brothers, they're like, why did we pick it? Because, you know, we're not film critics.
0: I'm looking at is to Warmest Color in 2013. People liked that movie, but there were also all kinds of issues yeah. to, to do with the actors and, 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 and what the director mm-hmm. made them do, and you know so you know it's not that people didn't like it and uh, white ribbon that was another one that put people off in it, a certain way it it did that
1: was a that was a certainly uh a a controversial one as well and i remember in uh 97 97 when i was there uh well
2: that was a tie
1: that year wasn't that it that was a tie but it was a tie between the taste of cherry
2: which everyone loved?
1: Oh, well, no, nobody loved. No, no wait, no
2: one of wait. Everyone loved one and didn't love the other, right? No,
1: no. Everybody thought they were both boring. Taste, oh, okay. of, Taste of Cherry was the Karastami film, and the Eel was the Imamura film. Well, the, Taste of Cherry people thought was fine, but the, and the Eel everybody thought was boring. But by and large, there were a lot of really interesting films in the competition, and people are like, so you didn't just give it to one boring undeserving movie. You gave it to two boring undeserving movies. You well, we, couldn't figure out which one was like the, the put you to sleep better. What's the what's the issue at that? But no one hated those films per se. And I would say this year, the Ken Loach film, nobody really hated it. People, but hated,
0: they, dancer. people hated Dancer in the Dark. Oh, they did hate Dancer people in the hated Dark. Dancer in yeah, the they dark. did. You're I right. I didn't, but
1: people did. Yeah, no, that's it. But because they, they hate Von Trier, they yeah. think Lars is out of his mind. Um, But this year, people didn't hate the Ken Loach film. I think they just felt, wait a minute, there are like four or five really amazing movies that you gave nothing to, including that German film, which is supposed to be so amazing that I'm really looking forward to. Got nothing. And that reminded me then, I was like, okay, so 94, there was another really interesting year. In 94, this was the thing that I remember really well about 94. Uh, Everybody was already rooting for uh, Kieslowski before the festival even began because he had made... Two of his films in the Three Colors Trilogy, Blue and White. Blue had won the Berlin Film Festival. White had won Venice. Here he was taking Red to the the Cannes Film Festival. It's like, oh, he's going to be the first filmmaker ever to win the Cripple Trown. He's going to win the Cripple Trown of film festivals, and he's going to do it at Cannes, and he's going to do it through three films in the single trilogy in successive years. It's going to be poetry. It's going to be like a dream, a fantasy come true. It's going to be amazing. The, the, The great Christoph Kieslowski and everyone saw red at the press screening and i remember people walking out with tears in their eyes right and just saying that's it it's going to happen it's it's fate it's done it's it's a it's a foregone conclusion it's such a wonderful movie it's um, how can you not do it to this amazing film and it's in french of all things and then you're sitting there and you're watching them give out the awards and you, and then you start thinking you're like wait a minute clint the jury East- president is clint eastwood yeah. and you're thinking is Clint Eastwood really going to be down with Kieslowski like all the rest of us are but is Clint
2: going to be down with Kieslowski because you have to because in order for it to win the Palme d'Or the president has to
1: the president can hold that's the right. rest of the jury uh, hi, completely hijack the process and hold the rest of the jury hostage and say this is what the Palme d'Or is going to you can give awards to anything else but you know they have to agree on the other awards there has to be consensus but the president can really twist the arm for the for the winner and that's when I started to get worried and I was like uh-oh is Clint gonna be down with Kieslowski? And suddenly it comes to, and Clint goes, and the Palm Door, and I remember him doing the with the P. the P really popped. He goes, <laughs> and the Palm Door, and that Clint Eastwood way, and the Palm Door goes to Pulp Fiction, and and then the next shot on the big, because you know, I'm looking in the, you know how it is. at can, you sit in the adjacent theater, you're in the, de- it's all going sure. on in the, in the in the Lumiere, right? And then next door, the press sits in the debussy and watches on a big projection screen like everybody else in the world. And suddenly there's Tarantino. He stands up. He's high-fiving Lawrence Bender. And everyone was in a state of shock. And and, and we just thought, are you kidding me? Kieslowski got nothing? Not a jury? Not a grand jury? Nothing? Nothing. You, you walk away empty-handed? What what happened in that jury room? And you could tell the jury was angry. Catherine Deneuve was like the, the, the vice president of the jury. And you could tell the jury was just angry. They were furious. And Tarantino goes up to accept his palm d'Or, And some woman up in the rafters is screaming, Pulp Fiction is pssh, S, right? <laughs> she's screaming, cursing at him. It's on the DVD. It's on the extras. You can see this on the extras. And she's screaming, Pulp Fiction is S, Fiction is pssh. and she's screaming this. And Tarantino laughs, and he throws her the middle finger, and I thought, this would never happen at the Oscars. No. And that was that. And that, to me, was that was maybe the most incendiary palm, win- palm winner I ever saw. But, you know, so yeah. What I mean, do you
0: think they didn't give Rouge... Uh, one of the other awards do you think that was like a protest amongst just was that was was that the jury saying we we will not give you that window clint i
1: i i have a feeling that it wound up being and and rumors have leaked out since that that was a really contentious deliberation that clint was absolutely dead set on pulp fiction winning it he was really impressed by the film he wanted that to get the top award and kind of didn't care what else what got anything else and then I think everybody else had their own little favorites. And there may have been – if you had had a consensus vote uh, on, a, on a normal jury where people had to sort of agree on everything and they were congenial and didn't argue, I think uh, Kislowski would have taken at least a jury prize. Um, but I think the feeling was everybody had their own pet favorites, and it probably wound up being the worst kind of horse trading. It's like, okay, fine, we'll give best actor to your guy as long as we give best actress to mine. Okay, fine, you – okay, fine, you get your movie, you get your movie. And yeah. I think it probably got really bitchy in the, in the final minutes, and Clint was probably sitting in the corner reading a newspaper saying, just do whatever you want, I don't care, just give it to Pulp Fiction. I get Pulp yeah. Fiction, you get whatever you want. And that's kind of what the rumor was, that that wound up being a, really, a pretty nasty jury
0: deliberation. The, the, reason, the reason it matters is because it matters, of course. Yeah. These things make careers. Yeah. Uh, that, that win made well, a career. It, it made, made a career. career, and Kieslowski
1: died about three years later. Yeah. So Not that that killed him. no. It might have. <laughs> we don't know. We don't know. In any case, uh, thank you, Chavelle. Really good question. And um, so shall we carry on to uh, – did Tim, do did you, did you want to uh, jump into your thing? Do
0: uh, uh, you want to you talk about some time travel movies let's for talk a second? Let's talk about time travel movies oh, for a second. All right. We'll can second. talk time travel for movies sure. for a second. So I, I, I'm, on, I'm on the show, and, 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 you know, you do radio, uh, terrestrial radio, and uh, you actually only have the amount of time that you have. Yeah. And there were a whole bunch of time travel movies and things that I wanted to talk about that I didn't get a chance to talk, to, uh, talk about on the show. And I know you have your favorites, Wade, uh, so I'm going to let you chime in here, too. Um, one of the films that I really, really love in this genre is Somewhere in Time, 1980. Uh, uh, Likewise. Young, 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 young. Yes, that's right. Young Christopher Reeves and Jane Seymour, Ridiculous. Abuse. It's just an incredibly romantic show. And I don't know if you'll get a chance to do this, Wade, but, but a little bit of the John Barry score, a little bit of John Barry score for that film uh-huh. would go well right about here. Okay, that's enough.
1: Oh, I'm going to let it ride for a little while. I'm
0: gonna <laughs> let it ride. Why not? So, so yeah, so this, this beautiful John Barry music that we have going in the background now. And this is absolutely beautiful movie. And if people haven't seen it, it's a chance to see a young Christopher Reeve, you know, yes. it just, just, just in, his, in, his, in his top form and a beautiful, yeah. beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Jane Seymour in this beautiful setting. So I love that movie, right? Yeah. Another one. People, I'm, I'm dating myself with all my picks. I, I'm a big fan of Time After Time. Yeah, oh, we love, that movie. I love this movie, right? HG H- G- Wells meets Jack the Ripper in this completely wacky story,
1: directed by
0: uh, Nicholas Meyer. Nicholas Meyer, pre, uh, pre- uh, Wrath of Khan. Yeah, I think it's, it's his his directorial debut. Maybe, maybe, Ooh. maybe. I think maybe, possibly. Uh, uh, well, we'll we'll find out. Yeah, uh, 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 but that w- we're going to talk about Wrath of Khan later today too. Uh, and, and yes, right. Pre- well, yeah, Wrath of Khan. And then he he wrote another one of those, didn't he? Seven uh, percent solution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yo, so 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 Nicholas yeah. Meyer and has that sensibility. Yeah. This is a film that came out in 1979, which happens to be the year that I graduated yes. from high school, mm-hmm. uh, so, which makes it very important to me. It also has uh, uh, an insanely comely Mary Steenburgen. Yes, it does. This film. Oh my God, I was so hooked mm-hmm. on her uh, in the late '70s and. Early eighties. Anyway, yeah. we should move on. And then there was this little film that I didn't get a chance to talk about on the show called Time Lapse. This is a two thousand maybe twelve oh, sure. film. Sure. Neat little film, this movie. Let me set this film up for you. I want people to actually go out and get this right. Danielle Penny Baker is in it. I can't remember who the other actors are, but it's a neat little movie. You have this guy, uh, this, this this couple and they live in this cottage just across from another cottage, right? Mm-hmm. Now, in the other cottage, there's this professor who has died. He has built this contraption, and this contraption is pointing out of the window of his cottage directly at the window of the couple's cottage, right? So so through that contraption, which is kind of like a camera, he can see their front window and everything that happens in the front room of their cottage, right? And this contraption takes a photograph of the thing that will happen in that front room Mm -hmm. of the next day at exactly the same time every day. And through a whole bunch of machinations, this young couple comes to know about this man and this, and this machine. So they can see uh, what's going to happen in their room the next day at the exact... Th- Dude, this is a very clever storyline. It's a very smart film, uh, especially
1: a, a way of doing a time travel film that is all set in one very constrained location with a very limited cast. It's
0: nothing but people coming in and out of yeah. more or less these two or three spaces yeah. and falling under the influence of knowing about this yep. this machine and what that means. And it just ties it up in a night little type thing. Time lapse. is the name of the film. What's that guy's name? Uh, Bradley King is the director. Yep. Uh, and the Good writers are uh, Bradley and a guy named uh, BP Cooper. Neat little movie. I like the little ones like that. Dude. Yeah. All right. Now uh, here are mine, and I will make this really quick. My
1: my time travel film selections are a little more eccentric. I mean, obviously, yes, I love uh, you know Back to the Future and uh, uh, you know the original Time Machine, George Powell, which oh, we yeah, have so. to make mention of, and sure. But um, here are the ones people don't typically think of as time travel movies: Time Bandits indeed. Terry Gilliam. Really interesting movie. Not really a time machine. It's more kind of a uh, metaphysical time meta- travel. Metaphysical, movie. magical, Terry Gilliam time travel, you know, and you're not really, you're, you're, you're sort of traveling between fantasy universes in a sense, but still it's a time travel movie. Uh, Groundhog Day. <laughs>
0: oh, yeah. yeah right? Yeah, yeah, because yeah. you're reliving the
1: same day over He's and in over. That loop. He's in, it's that in loop. It's in a loop. So you're not going into the past or the future in the conventional sense, but you're, you're caught in a loop, uh, which is wonderful. Uh, Slaughterhouse-Five.
0: Oh, yes, Billy Pilgrim.
1: He becomes unstuck in time, as he types, uh, which I think is, you know, George Roy Hill directs the daylights out of that movie. I just think that is a funky, weird, totally fantastical movie, and uh, I love it on every conceivable level. One of the better
0: adaptations of Vonnegut.
1: Yeah, and and it's an almost unadaptable novel, but they made a cool movie out of it. They did. And then lastly... The one and only time travel movie ever made by Woody Allen, Midnight in Paris. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I Absolutely love it. it. Okay, well, fine. Mark, with that, pass the microphone to Mark. Let him tell us. You,
2: you, you took away my Midnight in Paris. I'm sorry. I don't like you anymore.
1: <laughs>
2: I'm going to say, um, I'm going to be a little stinker and say the episode of the Twilight Zone, "No Time Like the Past," where Dana oh, Andrews, great. Dana mm-hmm. Andrews, right, the, the famous Phil uh, Noir actor. Goes back in time and tries to stop the sinking of the Lusitania, and mm-hmm. he tries to stop Adolf Hitler. And then, when he can't do that, he decides just to go back in time one more time and just live this idyllic life yeah. a- during a simpler time. But even that has its complications. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was also one of the rare. Uh, there was a group of Twilight Zone episodes that were an hour long. And mostly they were half an hour, and this was one of them. And I just think it's a terrific story. It's so poignant and so well acted. It was just really terrific. Uh, you know, other time travel movies I liked. I, I can't say favorites since so many of these um are great films, and I can't say Star Trek or Terminator. I would say uh Looper. Oh yes. yeah. I would say uh Twelve Monkeys. Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah.
2: Not the T V show.
1: Yeah. But the twelve the T V show is good too.
2: T V show is
0: good too. was one of the films we that I talked about. Yeah.
2: Now can I say Midnight in Paris again?
0: Sure. Midnight in Paris. Okay, good. Very good. (laughs) I'm going to toss in one more just for the heck of it because I want to talk about television. Yeah. An excellent episode of The X-Files, right? It's called Monday. Yeah. Uh, uh, 14th episode, 6th season of The X-Files. It takes place uh, at a bank robbery. It opens with Mulder already shot and bleeding out. Yeah. Yeah. he, it's, fan, it's a fantastic, very tightly woven little, little episode of television.
1: I think if we're talking t- time travel on TV, uh, for me, Time Tunnel, the old Erwin Allen show. Oh, so much fun! Except for the way they got into that time tunnel. Yeah, I just saw sort of, ooh, But, ooh. but the the uh, I, I I don't know that time travel has ever been handled more intelligently in a movie or on television than in "City on the Edge of Forever," uh, Harlan mm-hmm. Ellison Star Trek episode. And I know you'd mark you you didn't want us to geek out on Star Trek, but it is a, it <laughs> is. I, I, I just said the movie. Yeah, but but that is an amazing episode, and Ellison has sort of you know he's been cocky about that for a long time, but it it, it deservedly is because it's there is that philosophical element that the time machine itself, which is this weird archaic looking ruin on this remote planet or planetoid, as it were, um, is is not just a device for going back and forward in time, but it's a teaching device, right? The guardian of forever is there to sort of. Be to mentor you through all of these issues that will the time travel is somehow a a a conduit to learning what you should and shouldn't do, which of course is what they learn. It's like you can't if you had the chance to go back and change history by uh, by you know saving the life of uh, of Edith Keeler, would you do it? And uh, you know, is there anyone who does not remember Kirk holding McCoy back and you hear that car hit her in the background? And you look at the expression on, on, on DeForest Kelly's face,
0: Jim, what have you done?
1: No, Come on.
0: Young, beautiful Joan Collins,
1: that was. Yes. yes. I mean, that, that moment, the two of them in love with the same woman and yet sacrificing her for the sake of the future. I mean, that that, you know, that, that concept has never been brought home so forcefully as in that moment. That is a great episode.
2: Nerd.
0: <laughs> yeah, good one. Okay, good fine. One, good. Thank you. Thank you, boys. Thank you, sir. You're going to stick, stick around and talk about a few more around. things? I'm going well, to hang around. All right.
2: You going to stick around because we have a very important question to ask you later. Okay. Uh-oh. Yes. Uh-oh. Yes. Uh-oh. Oh, that's right. So, Mark,
1: Mark, would you please speak into the microphone? Well, okay. So, yeah. So, let, okay. Let's ask the question right now. Get it off.
2: Now, last week, uh, we um, – we, uh, had a little conversation. Yes, we did. About um, – now, which Blu-ray was this for?
1: Oh, that was for Cloverfield Lane, 10 okay. Cloverfield Lane.
2: Cloverfield Lane. Now, Tim, you're going to want to uh, participate in this because we, we we have a bet based on your reaction. Okay. Uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane came out on Blu-ray, a film that uh, was surprisingly good, I enjoyed thoroughly. And this little baggie that has a couple of puzzle pieces that have to do with the movie uh, came with the Blu-ray, right? Came with the Blu-ray. Came with the Blu-ray. Yes. And so we're talking about these two, two or three, whatever it is, two-piece – only three? Not that cheap. Just give us all whole damn puzzle. Okay. Um, we're talking about these three puzzle pieces in the, in, in the Ziploc bag that came with the 10 Cloverfield Lane Blu-ray. And Wade referred to it as a certain thing. I know it as swag. They usually send you little pieces of swag, like a hat or a pen or something. And here it tends to it, it's just three, piece, three puzzle pieces. But Wade had another name for it that he claims is what everybody in the industry calls swag. But I had never heard of it in the history of my life. I don't know what he was talking about. To me, this is swag. It's always been swag. It's a pen. It's a sweater. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a zip drive. It's called swag. Wade, I want you to tell Tim what you thought this was called. Not swag. It's something else. And then Tim, who's going to be honest with us, you're going to say whether you have ever heard of stuff like this. I have
0: heard the term swag before. Swag is the term that I am. Wag is at the moment the term that I am familiar with.
1: I called it a persuasion. No.
0: Never heard that before. Yes! (laughs) It it is a persuasion, but no, I've never heard that before. Never heard that before. By the way, the... That that come in every Blu-ray that everyone no, will no, get. No, 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 no. That's just that's just, just fancy a, people a press thing. A press
2: okay, thing. no, Tim. No one cares well, about that. Nobody knows swear, what swear. a persuasion is. Have you wait? Well, let's okay. let's, re- let's relive this, okay. Tim. Have you ever heard of this being called a persuasion?
0: No, I have to say no. I have to say no. Fine.
2: Hey right, a second, Tim. Have you ever heard of this being called a persuasion? <laughs>
0: uh, still no, still no. <laughs> I took a class in fine. grad school called persuasion. All right, fine, fine. fine. Thank I you, will, thank you, Tim. My work here is done.
1: I will bring a, I will bring supporting evidence in the future on uh, my those cross examination,
0: guys. Take him out the uh, No, we did not. It's, 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 <laughs> we it's, don't even give a damn. Well, the no,
1: pieces. It, 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 it relates to the film, and it, it's a giveaway, and not, you know, I don't think we want to get into it, but here, I'll, <laughs> Is I'll it. Is the lamest thing
2: to ever give away in the film?
1: Yeah, it, it's, uh, it's incredibly lame. Uh, here, here, hold on. I'll do it.
0: Well, actually, I didn't see yeah. yeah. it. I didn't good. see it.
1: Hold on, hold on. You, you, yo, you okay, fine. <laughs> okay, you fine. have to
0: put the face
1: <laughs> So anyway, anyway, carrying on. All right, we're going to talk about some new movies real quickly. Uh, Tim, you are perfect to talk about this because oh, Night yes. of Cups, Night of Cups, the Terrence Malick film, which is on Blu-ray. Mm. Uh, is uh, and which has only one special feature: the making of Night of Cups. Uh, so you better like the movie because there's no extras on this thing. Yeah. So you and I saw this together and we talked about it on radio.
0: Yeah, and so we're going to cut Mark very, out of this equation. It was, it was a very interesting conversation yeah. for us. A very interesting moment in time. Uh, Night of Cups, uh, c- uh, not critically loved by no. anybody except m- maybe me and you. Yeah, well, uh, because we we
1: identified it as the uh, conclusion to a trilogy yes. that de- Malik is making about his life that began with Tree of Life and continued with To the Wonder. A very
0: introspective trilogy which is much more which is much more deeply uh, woven than, than than I had thought before. You know, I beat up uh, what was what was the middle movie? Uh, to the Wonder. Uh, to the Wonder. I beat yeah. that movie up pretty good. You And, and I
1: saw all three of these together uh, All together, three together uh, yeah. Tree of
0: Life being the first one of yeah. course. Uh, uh, which we both loved uh, roundly. To the Wonder was a movie that I beat up pretty good, but I didn't really understand what was going on uh, when 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 I saw that movie. Thinking about that movie in in, in in the context of this trilogy, what yeah. is plainly a trilogy, and who, whose characters are whom, yeah. and who they represent, his father, his mother, uh, his brother, uh, uh, his teachers, uh, philosophy, and all now I understand what's actually going on in Tree of Life, the, the in, di- uh, in, uh, to the wonder.
1: Yeah, and I mean, to the one. for those who don't know, uh, Malick basically made uh, a Tree of Life about his childhood. In which case you you know you see this family this tough father and uh, you know he's one of these brothers and there's a brother that that, that passes away and two other brothers survive and uh, then into the wonder it's about his his relationships his you know his his broken marriage and the and meeting the uh, and the, his own his own failures there his own failures yeah. in his marriages and then this is about the grown I mean in a very loose way the grown Terence Malick now played by Christian Bale he went from you know the present and uh, future Batman uh, Mm -hmm. Ben Affleck to the past and uh, (laughs) recent Batman uh, Christian Bale. Um, a, playing, you know, a screenwriter who is loosely based on Malik, who again has a brother and another brother who's deceased, and Brian Dennehy plays their the hardcore dad, and uh, Wes uh, Bentley plays the other brother. And suddenly, you realize these are all these same family dynamics yeah. carrying through these same three films,
0: and, and, and you know, in recriminations uh, where, where where they belong all, all the way around. Yeah. Most of which, though, are directed toward the character that more or less represents him. And what I like about this series of films is that if there is if they're um, if there is any judgment in these films, they're all self-judgments. Yeah. He, he's 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 what he's really doing is looking at Terrence Malik and yeah. saying, Man, uh I've had some successes, but boy have I failed. Yeah. In <laughs> some in some amazing and astounding ways. And yeah. judgments I've made and I've blamed my dad and I've blamed my brother and and, and, and my brother was a better person than me. Uh, and it's it, done. And in I that, blame my wives, and I've blamed my children. And it, it's it, done in
1: that rehearsal, almost semi-improvised style. Uh, you know, lots of really, really fluid camera work by Emmanuel uh, yeah, lebetsky who's now gonna... won three consecutive Oscars. Uh, I, I think it's you know, if you've seen the other two films, I think it makes a lot more sense. If you expect it to stand alone on its own, you're probably not going to get as no. much out of it. But. Beautiful, meditative movie. Uh, we both really, really like it a and lot. And what did you say? Nothing else on that? It's the it was movie? It's a featurette. Featurette, okay. Featurette, where you don't actually see Malik because he doesn't allow himself to be photographed. <laughs> yeah. So it's not much. <laughs> it's really not much of it. You know, a lot of people don't care for Terrence I know it's an it's an acquired taste for sure. It is indeed for sure. So um, anyway, all right, Mark, uh... shall we? uh... Mark, Mark, where's Mark? Yeah, Mark. I told you, Rip in the other oh, is Mark. Mark's doing his. He's, he's taking a pause.
0: I must. Brothers Grimsby is what Mark has there. I got to tell you, I'm am about, about the only film critic on the planet that like that movie. Today. Oh, really, <laughs> this right. movie was
2: junk. Talk about it.
0: Uh, this movie was actually very very bright. It's very different than what sasha Baron Cohen had been doing in all of those other films. When you watch this movie, what you will see is Sasha Baron making fun of Sasha Baron uh, he is the butt of all of the jokes in mm-hmm. this movie and this movie has something to say about all kinds of little things uh, uh, um, little foibles that we have in society this movie has something to say that uh, about the way that we treat fat people or unattractive people uh, this movie has something to say about homophobia mm-hmm. uh, this movie has something to say about all kinds of little things, gun culture in America. This movie is absolutely absolutely hysterical in its treatment of gun culture in America. And another thing, Mark Strong, the other guy on the cover here who nobody ever talks about, Mark is a really wonderful actor uh, and just throws himself into this perfectly ludicrous movie. Whole hog, he does not pull back. Even uh, when they are in the elephant's vagina, (laughs) he does not pull back. Oh, that's too
1: funny. Anyway, <laughs> too I funny, like brilliant. So anyway, that's the Brothers Grimsby, um, and uh, we, uh, Mark, do you do you have anything to add, to add to Brothers Grimsby? I have not seen it, so I'm I'm going to uh, take no. Tim's.
2: There's there's way too much uh, anal cavity jokes to
1: really <laughs> make me laugh. Okay, Brothers Grimsby. All right, well, fine, so be you it. You know what,
2: Sasha Baron Cohen? That guy's got to figure out what to do because he's he fell out of the uh, Freddie Mercury film, right? And now he's doing anal cavity movies that only uh, Tim Cogshaw likes. Yeah, and uh, he's got to figure out what he's going to do with himself. All right, fine. By so the way, they, these three pieces of the puzzle look—they—they—they they, they do fit together.
1: They do fit together. Yes, of course they do. But the—the the, the point is not that they make a picture. That it's—it's it's that whole jigsaw thing that's going on in Cloverfield, which is you know. If you see the movie, you understand. All right. Uh, let's, uh, let's get into some, uh, some classics here. Uh, we got some Criterions. We got some, uh, some Kino Lorber stuff. So let me just uh, knock out a couple of culty films first. Um, we've got the uncensored director-approved edition of Sorceress, which is one of the most wonderful, cheesy things you have ever seen. This is from Synapse. comes in a nice black, uh, lurid DVD keep case, a bl- uh, Blu-ray keep case uh this is the kind of thing that um linda blair would go on to make after the exorcist when her career completely disintegrated everyone expected her to become a legit actress and she just went on and basically made a whole bunch of exploitation stuff where she took her top off and a lot of it sort of had loose connection to the exorcist in any case uh this is a blu-ray uh again the uncensored director approved edition Uh, Directed by Jim Wynorski in uh, 1995, which is pretty late for these kinds of films. Wynorski, of course, did a lot of uh, exploitation stuff, primarily an 80s filmmaker in that regard uh but uh, you know this is uh this, this is just one of those silly silly occulty movies uh that uh, you know really makes absolutely no sense whatsoever other than the fact that it has a lot of nudity and uh some topless women and you know a little bit of gore and uh titillation and there it is Wynorski does the audio commentary track and uh there's also an additional commentary track where that he does with Tom Savini who did all the uh the gore makeup and thing. And then in addition to Linda Blair, you also get Michael Parks and the lovely Julie Strain, who also made quite a career being copiously naked. And then uh, in addition to that, from the Redemption line over at Kino is uh, Crimson, uh, starring Paul Naschy, who is for a long time a huge, huge exploitation star. Um, this is directed by Juan Fortuny, with whom I am utterly unfamiliar and you also, if crimson is is not enough for you, you can also get the alternate European cut of crimson, which probably tells you more about the movie. The your alternate European cut is entitled "The Man with the Severed Head." What? That's right, The Man with the Severed Head. So, uh, you know, if if Crimson is a little bit too obscure for you and you don't really know what you go, well, what's it about? Well, the European version is called The Man with the Severed Head. That's a little bit like if, uh, you know, the the U.S. release of, uh, you know, Star Wars was Star Wars, and then internationally it was, the movie about the Death Star thing that gets blown up.
2: No, that's what they call it in Japan
1: you speak into the microphone please
2: well I am not speaking into the microphone yes. because what if Tim would like to say something oh, that's a, what uh, do sure. I do you,
1: you into we the only microphone. have two mics wait anyway this is a, this is one of those brain replacement movies it's much worse than uh, they saved Hitler's brain uh, it's it's just r- absolutely ridiculous it is preposterous on every conceivable level but it has a kind of a it has sort of a cool cheese factor From made in 1973 a, uh, a European production Spanish French a lot of, a lot of European money in this it's an absolutely silly, silly film, but, uh, you know, from an exploitation level, uh, it is it is enjoyable in a really kitsch way. So that is uh, Crimson, starring Paul Nashe, otherwise known as the man with the severed head. All right, Mark, tell us what we got on uh, on Criterion this week.
2: Oh, do we have some cool Criterion stuff for you this week? In fact, I will take a couple, and because uh, Tim Conshell's here, he will take a couple, too. What do you think of that? Okay. 1973, we have the absolutely surreal, strange, wonderful... Political allegory, fantastic planet. Imagine if. I, I don't know how to put this. Imagine if the animation from Monty Python was told to tell a serious story. Yeah. It looks like the animation from Monty Python.
1: This has been on DVD twice previously. Uh, both of them, you know, welcome on DVD because it's such a hard film to find. But neither was a, a really terrific transfer. I think everybody was sort of willing to suck it up and live with the previous DVDs. Just because they were there, and most people I know who got one got the other, so I know a lot of people who actually have both DVDs because the extras are a little different, and there was just no they 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 couldn't live to part with either one of them because they didn't know when the film might come around again. Well, I think you can part with those DVDs now because this is a great Blu-ray set.
2: Yeah, this is uh, again, it's a French film. It is uh, there's it's surreal and it's uh, trippy and it's psychedelic and it takes place on this. Planet, w- distant planet where humans are enslaved by these giant blue people, and then one of the humans who had been raised uh, as a pet from childhood escapes and then winds up um, with a band of um, these kind of crazy radical separatist types. And it really cannot be explained. It needs to be seen to be believed. It's from 1973, it is only 72 minutes. And uh, that's about all you can take of something so trippy and so strange. And, of course, Criterion has uh, done the best they can on the uh, Blu-ray. It's a 2K digital restoration. But, again, this is a 1973 film, so how good will it, will it ever get? A couple short films by uh, the director, a documentary on the director. And, uh, yeah, it's really interesting stuff. Fantastic Planet is completely worth a rental just to see what it will be like um, if a Monty Python animation was... Used to tell a political allegory about racism. Awesome. We also have, by the way, uh, another terrific film. If you've, uh, I'm sure you haven't, but um, uh, there was a film. Uh, I think it was in the early '80s called uh, Heaven Can Wait with uh, Warren Beatty. And Heaven Can Wait is a. Uh, is Heaven Can Wait available on Blu-ray?
1: Ooh, uh, Heaven Can Wait, I believe, is is going. Uh, it's
2: kind of not right. Actually, maybe Heaven Can check. Wait was '70. Heaven Can Wait was like the late 70s. I want to say
1: Heaven Can Wait is supposed to be coming out from Criterion, but I, I might be confusing it with uh, what you're holding in your hand right now.
2: That is right. And Heaven Can Wait with Warren Beatty, a great film. Everyone loved it. It was directed by uh, Warren Beatty and Buck Henry. Um, very beloved for its time. That film is actually based on another film, an earlier film from 1941 called "Here Comes Mr. Jordan."
1: Heaven Can Wait is only available. Heaven Can Wait was released uh, from Paramount uh, originally on DVD, and then it was released uh, again on DVD in a Criterion. uh, No, that's a different Heaven Can Wait, so never mind. I take it back.
2: Now, now there was a Heaven Can Wait with Gene Tierney. That's the 1943. That's the
1: 1943. That's what's on Criterion. That's what was confusing me. So yes. Always is based on. Uh, that's right. On th- that's made, no. That's based on a guy named Joe. Guy
0: named Joe.
1: Okay. Guy named Joe. There was. There were, uh, that, that was. You know, when you look at when you look at it, here comes Mr. Jordan. A uh, guy named Joe. Angels in the outfield. Um, even it's a wonderful life. That that was the thing in the in the 1930s and 40s. Like every other movie, had some angel hey. helping somebody out. And if you think about it, well, like you know, Nazism and fascism and communism and World War II and the Great Depression, uh, damn well needed an angel back then. So I think everybody wanted to feel like there was somebody on the other side looking out for them because the world was just a horrible place.
2: It's a wonderful life. Dad. Yeah. I had an angel.
1: Uh, I just said that.
2: Oh, I was listening to your yeah, ugly face. Anyway, uh, here comes Mr. Jordan from, from 1941. It's uh, Robert uh, Montgomery. He plays a uh, boxer now in the Warren Beatty film. He was a football player. But he plays a boxer, and he, uh, he, his plane crashes in a crazy accident. But instead of going to heaven, he is returned to earth. Thanks to an angel named Mr. Jordan, played by Claude Rains, who everybody knows uh, more as the Invisible Man. And, uh, yeah, it's a terrific little uh, comedy. A lot of fun. Um, this thing, it's uh, Criterion has done a good job on this as well. 2K Digital Restoration – There's a conversation between uh, critic uh, Michael Sregow, who is a member of the LA Film Critics Association, and uh, uh, one of the other filmmakers. And uh, yeah, there's a Lux Radio Theater adaptation from 1942 starring Cary Grant, which is definitely very cool. And um, I think I like this a lot. This is a cute movie. It's, uh, it, it's not really that dated. It's funny because like, the Warren Beatty one is almost, is almost a little more dated. The Warren Beatty one is a little more um, – He plays a
1: football player, not, yeah. not a boxer. It's a
2: little more screwball comedy, I think, than you yeah. can wait, than uh, Here Comes Mr. Jordan is. But um, I like this film a lot.
0: It's good. It's really, really good.
2: And then actually, Tim's going to do one of them.
0: Yay. Oh, yeah. Why? Because it's the fancy film in the bunch. <laughs> That's why. La Chienne. La Chienne. And uh, uh, Jean Renoir, uh, Renoir. It's an absolutely beautiful film. I like this film. 1931, this film I- is made, right? Yeah. This film is about a guy. He's a married guy. He falls in love with this chick. Her name is Lulu. Uh, Lulu turns out to be a hooker. And she has this pimp named Didi. And she's really just working this guy to get a, to get money for her for her pimp. This is like some edgy, edgy <laughs> stuff, dude. It is. I don't think you could make this film this straight today. You as probably could. You as, you probably as, you, as, as they did in 1931. Plus, uh, uh, Jean Renoir, an absolutely wonderful filmmaker, and it's in that sort of moody sort of tone uh, that he always thought of. Yeah, so good right, stuff. So check that out for sure. This thing, uh, let's see, I'm trying to see if it has anything interesting on it. No, I'm afraid it does not. Actually, it's a it is a four K uh, digital transfer, oh, nice. and it does have an introduction uh, by Jean Renoir, nineteen sixty one introduction. So, oh, nice. room, yeah, which is neat because I was born in nineteen sixty one, so that makes it good. Fantabulous.
2: Renoir, by the way, is one of the um, unsung greats. Yes. A uh, film. I mean, because uh, this is 1931, so it's like the early sound era. Well, when yeah. your dad's and then. The other guy, you know. I know. When you're, and, his, and Renoir's father was the painter. A- August Renoir. Auguste Renoir. The great painter, yeah. Uh, a couple of years later, or next year, he'd made uh, Baudou Save from Drowning, which Criterion had released on That's DVD. Right. And of course, he would later make uh, The Rules of the Game, which for a long time was considered like the best film ever made in that sight and sound poll. Yeah. Right? And uh, he was amazing. Grand Illusion, of course, from 1937, one of the all time great anti war films. So, um, yeah uh jean Roy is the man.
1: All right. And then uh from uh Full Moon Features, uh who's uh, releasing a lot of Blu-rays now, there is HP Lovecraft's Lurking Fear, which is which is a weird kind of occult cult film. I, obviously I've never read the original Lurking Fear. Uh but this is from the 80s and uh it's like 84 I believe it is. And uh the the idea basically is you got a guy uh, played by Blake Bailey, who's been doing time in prison. He didn't commit the crime, but he comes out and his family, including like a really weird Vincent Schiavelli, who's always a weird dude. Um especially in Ghost. Remember him in Ghost? He was all creepy. Sure. And weird. He,
2: he he reminds me of um he always reminds me of uh Richard Libertini.
1: A little bit, except he's like, you know, Richard Richard's a nice guy and Vincent is kind of a creepy dude.
2: No, but they they're both like tall, lanky Have you ever aloof? seen
1: Vincent Schiavelli around town though?
2: He oh, who like hasn't?
1: A- well he he drives like an old classic uh car from like the 30s or 40s and he's he's always kind of decked out in some weird kind of scarves and berets and things like that.
0: Vincent Cervelli the, the day that the 1992 riots broke out Yeah, 92. I was in Paris. I was interviewing <laughs> Vincent Cervelli on the roof of his house uh, in West Hollywood. No he lived in the Font Leroy what's yeah. the name? What's the name of that that, that fancy building right there? Uh, on Rossmore, yeah, right there. He lives. Oh in, yeah, yeah. That's where he lived in 1992. Anyway, and for whatever reason, we had went up to the roof. He was in Batman. The uh, I guess. It was oh, that's the right. Batman yes. Yeah, yeah. And I was interviewing him for Entertainment Today magazine that you and I work for. A feature. I was writing a feature, and uh, and we're sitting there, and Vincent Chevalley looks over my shoulder and he says, "What's that?" And I look back and I said, "It looks like a fire." I don't know. It looks like. it. And he says, "Well, then what's that?" <laughs> and I looked, over, <laughs> and it's like another fire that was bigger than the first fire. And we went to his apartment and turned on the news. And no I realized that the city was on fire. Wow. So that's my Vincent Shively story. You know, I
1: was in I was in Paris taking meetings and skirting around. I got back to you know the friend that we were staying with, an old friend of my father's, and and she looks at me and you know it's lovely old lady and uh, and she said, oh things are really bad back at your place. And I'm like, really? Did did my mother drop something? What happened? Uh, you know? And and it, she turns the TV on and and all I saw was just riots. Yeah. And I just thought. Oh, and then I remembered Rodney King. And then yeah. I, I had I'd completely forgotten that was going on. I'd been in Paris for about a week, and I was on my way to Cannes. And uh, and I and I was like, oh, you got to be kidding me! Yeah, <laughs> well, well, anyway,
0: Vincent for, Schiavelli. there you go.
1: That Vincent Schiavelli just reminded <laughs> us of the riots. Uh, so anyway, Schiavelli is probably the best thing in this. Lurking Fear, H.P. Lovecraft's Lurking Fear on Blu-ray. Basically, about a guy who gets out of prison, and he, you know, his his illicit family and other connections. They want him to go and dig up some money that his his uh, his dad had stolen and buried in a cemetery. Unfortunately, it's a cemetery that is populated by cannibals who live in the in tunnels underneath. And you know what? That's the worst thing. I hate it when that happens to a cemetery. You know, it's like, it's like uh, we got a couple of them here in L.A., cannibals in the tunnels underneath. It's such a problem.
2: So it's a documentary?
1: Kind of. Okay. Yeah, but you can get them out. You can call Orkin. They have, they have, like a, they, they have a treatment for cannibals. You know, it's like what they do for gophers, except they just it's more powerful.
2: Now, wait a second. Now, we've, had, uh, we've, we've gone through the vampire cycle. Yeah. We're now currently in the zombie cycle. Yes. Right? Maybe next will be cannibals.
1: I think so. I think we need more... Or werewolves. We've done werewolves. Although Universal's
2: starting to remake all their... uh, Universal's going to remake all their old uh, classic horror films. They They got uh, Tom Cruise starring in... um, The Mummy. The Mummy.
1: Yeah, big deal. Okay. So, uh, last classic of the week before we uh, dive into a few other... Well, we got some Star Trek stuff to talk about. Uh, Nerd! Yeah. Uh, Andrew McLaughlin, who did tons of westerns way back when, one of those workman-like guys primarily in the 60s, he had a late stage western in 1971. This is out on Blu-ray from Keanu Lorber uh, with the enviable cast of Brian Keith and Dean Martin, two guys you always want to have in a western. uh, and, uh Hi, Brian Keith? Uh, it's called Something Big. It's a movie called Something Big. And by, the,
2: well, by the way, why is there a Keith David and a David Keith? Why don't you all IMDb that? There's a Keith David... And it's yes. David Keith.
0: I know that. Right? Yes. Right? Tim, okay. back me up. Another hole in the time space. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the interesting question. <laughs> Do you know which one's black and which one's white? Keith
2: <laughs> d- David is black.
0: Yes. I have no idea which one is which. <laughs> yeah, David, <laughs> Keith? Keith? Keith David, yes. Keith David is the black guy who is,
1: the, who is also the dad as it is in, uh, in Something About Mary. Right, yes, right, sure. He's in the thing. He's, he's and in, he's th- in the, thing. Yeah, in the yes. thing. And he has that. Ama- he survives the
2: thing. He's one of the only two guys who survives that, the movie.
1: And he has that amazing voice. He narrates a lot of commercials. He's got a great voice. And then uh, David Keith uh, is and the Jungle. Yeah, there you go. So, but
2: Keith you know. David was also in uh, The Nice Guys, I believe. He was in The Nice Guys. Oh yes,
1: he was. That's right. Yes, he is. And he's by in the, the nice way, guys. can he I gets, see, He gets shot in The Nice Guys in, in,
2: in, in the hot tub or something. Yeah, yeah. Can I say something about The Nice Guys?
1: I love that movie.
2: I, I I do love much of that movie. It's a little uh-huh. much after a while. But here's the thing. It, it annoyed me that the film tanked because everybody's complaining that the studios only make sequels yeah. and ten-pole films, and here's Warner Brothers putting a decent amount of money behind a film yeah. that is original. yeah, Bit of star a throwback, vehicle. but original, star and a star vehicle. vehicle, and it tanks. I, and all that does, it, ju- it just makes it makes Warner I, Brothers hunker down even more.
1: I'm going to make a prediction. First of all, first of all, I, I, it's, it was R-rated. I don't think they handled it quite as well as they should have. I also think it was not released at the right time. I think a film like that you you don't release that film now. You release that film in October. You know what I mean? You release it in October and you platform it a little bit and you let it sort of build a reputation and then become a must-see thing. But I'm also going to predict that it's going to do really really well on, on on DVD and Blu-ray. I think it's going to do really well in ancillary markets. I think well enough that we may get a second one because they set it up for another one and I really want to see those guys do another
0: one. It all depends on how much-
1: it was expensive. They spent a pile. I mean, that that's got a lot of you know that's got a lot of car crashes and it's it's there's real effects in that thing. So anyway, something big, kind of a kind of a silly western. Um, it, it, it you know it, it, it it's, it's 1971 is getting pretty late for the western era, and everybody's kind of trying to keep up, and everybody's getting a little uh, long in the tooth and. Yeah, there's a you know there's a there, there's some fun action in this thing, and Dean Martin's a little bit funny and sly, and they got they got a nice little thing going on between them, Brian Keith and Dean Martin. But it is definitely uh, everybody's sort of trying to hang on to a, uh, a a genre that is long past, especially considering that the the music and the songs come to us courtesy of, mind you, this is a western, a western with music and songs courtesy of Marvin Hamlish, Burt Bacharach, and Hal David.
2: Oh come on! Raindrops keep falling on my head.
1: Totally inappropriate to that movie, but we love it because we still love the movie in spite of the song, not because of the song. Yeah. You know that. Yeah, that is true. Yes. Okay. So <laughs> Marvin Hamlish, Burt Bacharach, Hal David—not exactly what I associate with westerns, but nonetheless, a, its an okay film.
2: Weeds a hater. All he right, Mark.
1: Things. Mark, we've we've got uh, we got a nerd moment here.
2: What is that over there? Let me show me that the, the big one
1: the big one the big one and was I want to say
2: showing the big one that is not sexual in any way
1: the big thank uh, you Tim take over the mic okay <laughs> all right so, I got the mic so we are we're going to talk now about Star Trek 2 the Wrath of con director's cut which I don't think is any better than the regular cut. I, I I really am not a fan of Wrath of Khan at all, as we know on this show. But Mark loves it. Yay. But I made an issue as soon as this arrived. I posted a picture on the Facebook page to explain to under underline the fact that I think this is the worst cover I have ever seen on any Blu-ray ever. Mark, this is one of those Mondo things. Right. You okay? So so it's lame. black, like, white, and red pastiche of characters from it, the film. Why, Ink. Now. Ink. Yeah, drawings, I, yeah not not and not a fan uh, on any level whatsoever but but uh kevin haub uh listener on the facebook page went and actually went and got one of the original some of the original bob peak artwork and he did a cover that i am now going to replace it with
0: oh wow uh, thank you, look kevin. at that
1: see isn't that great thank you kevin so the original Bob Peak uh, artwork, which is just wonderful, and Bob Peake, of course, one of the legendary uh, poster artists of all time, going all the way back to Funny Girl and My Fair Lady and Excalibur and Apocalypse Now, all of which, by the way, they had a, a Bob Peak uh, exhibit about a year and a half ago at Pepperdine University, which I went to, and I stood next to the original drawings of a lot of that stuff. And you look at the original artwork for Apocalypse Now with Brando's face and all the red and all that or the Excalibur artwork or Star Trek motion picture, it's amazing. That guy was an artist par excellence. So that's the artwork that should be there. So thank you, Kevin. You saved the Blu-ray. As to the director's cut itself, um, what can I say? got a lot of stuff the director's cut and the theatrical version uh, Nicholas Meyer does commentaries and
0: Nicholas f- Meyer comes wh- up again there
1: he, there he is he does commentaries uh, on both um, he also does a commentary on the theatrical version along with Manny Cotto there's a text commentary from uh, Michael and Denise Okuda who do all of those really cool technical books on Star Trek stuff uh, and then there's a, uh, a library computer and a thing on the Genesis effect and the f- effects and you know lots of. I mean there are there are probably a dozen different featurettes on here, almost all of which are in HD. There are storyboards. Uh, there's a tribute to R- Ricardo Montalban. It is l- just is jam packed with stuff. But let's be honest, the dire- the difference between the director's cut and the theatrical cut, very few cuts and in, in running time three minutes. That's it. It's not l- which like one's longer. That's the longer. director's, director's, director's longer. cut. The director's
2: cut. And more the- that kid. Who, who's
1: the kid who, who dies? Oh, uh... Pepper uh, Peterman, whatever his name was, Pepper... Pe- Pe- Pepper... Pepper... Pe- Pepper who was Peterman? Who the kid
2: who died? I forgot his name. This, he was the, 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 the young actress. Pepper Peterman? Honest. I can't believe I don't remember this. Uh, he, he was the, 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 the... This is Peter Parker. What a, don't stop the recording! No,
1: I'm not going to. You, are you talking about... you talking about what's his it, face? That kid
2: who dies, and the, the little kid. There was
1: a... The little kid? The, oh, the, Peter Preston. Peter Preston? What? A, there was a kid... What are you talking about?
2: Yes, there was a kid, Peter Preston. He played, like, the young ensign. Oh, yeah. Oh, he yeah. Oh, yes.
1: uh, Ike he Eisenman.
2: Races, he more of
1: this kid. Ike Eisenman from uh, Escape to Witch Mountain, who's yes. now, like, an attorney or something. He's not even in the business That's anymore. That's
2: right. He played, uh, he, was, he played the kid in, uh, in yeah, yeah, the Yeah, 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 Who dies. Oh, my
1: gosh. I forgot about that. <laughs> okay.
2: Peter Parker. All right.
1: Peter Parker Peter Preston or something Peter Preston. yeah 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 for a second I was thinking are you talking about Kirk's kid because he's grown up played by Merritt Buttrick who has
2: since passed
1: away who has since passed away that's what I thought you were talking about because no. Merritt Buttrick who, I, I, who I met once when he was on Square Pegs oh, God. you know he was on Square Pegs stupid show Square pegs. Anyway. So, all right. So that's that's con. And then, uh, so you, you know, I, I I have to grudgingly recommend it because it's like if you're a completist or whatever. And then the rest of stuff we got uh, the they have not gotten us the Blu-ray set of the the complete Blu-ray set of Next Generation. We're hoping that'll arrive soon. But we do I have... already own
2: that by the way because I got the UK version.
1: Oh, that's right. So I've
2: been enjoying that for a while
1: now. Well, we they they sent us the original series on uh, Blu-ray, uh, which has. Is is nice now in a nice, jam-packed, very tight and compact uh, complete set. And
2: by the way, can I say something about this? Yeah. A couple things. First of all, there is no difference between this one and the uh, previous one. It's just a nicer, tighter package. And also, for those who are complaining that these are not uh, widescreen, this was 1966, 67, 68, Uh, whatever. Yeah. Uh, They did not make television in widescreen back then. No, they did not. And by the way, also, you know, The Next Generation is also not widescreen.
1: Well, it, it is at a certain point. Yes. It, it, it's uh, like third season, fourth season. But when it initially it was over. not. Initially it was not. Yeah, it switches over at a certain point. That now. One of those transitional shows.
2: Now, I am one of those people who likes the original series with the enhanced visual effects. I know. It's not canonical. It's not the no, original. I don't like
1: it. I like it. No.
2: I just do. Because no, I
1: think they did. Not appropriate. Ju-
2: I, th- yeah, I'm not, I'm, I, I really don't disagree. But I have to say this. They did just enough. To improve the effects, but didn't go overboard.
1: It feels like Hardware Wars, the special edition. Did you watch Hardware Wars, the special edition, with all the CGI? It's ridiculous. I have that DVD. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's absurd. By the way, there's another documentary that I'm talking about on uh, Film Week this week, uh, which is all about the uh, Indiana Jones fan film. The guys that made it. You wear that thing? Of course. That feature? Yeah, the, the that's actually that I hated that documentary for a half an hour because they were. They, what they did is they all came together like 30 years later to shoot the one scene with the airplane that they did not. They were not able to shoot in the original one. They're spending tens of thousands of dollars these guys to to fulfill an, a dream from when they were 11 years old. And I'm thinking, okay, you're a, bunch of ass- you're a bunch of indulgent, overgrown losers. You're risking your jobs and everything to complete. I mean, why are you doing this? And then it gets interesting. So I will say, then the, f- the film won me over. So very interesting film. Anyway, completing our, our Star Trek coverage today, uh, the J.J. Uh, Abrams Star Trek and then its sequel, Star Trek Into Darkness, are both out in 4K Ultra HD editions with 4K Blu-ray, regular Blu-ray, and then, of course, the uh, ultraviolet digital HD version. And uh, loaded with extras, all the stuff that the uh, previous ones had, um, uh, commentary by J.J. and, you know, uh, Brian Burke, who I, I have known for... It's just weird. It's weird hearing Brian You introduced
2: Brian Burke to J.J.
1: No, I introduced Brian to Matt, and Matt introduced him to J.J. Got it. That's how that worked. <laughs> Uh, I, I, because you know J, honestly JJ would know you on the street he wouldn't know me he's met me like half a dozen times but i'm always like one of those guys who's just loitering around matt's film <laughs> i'm not i'm not that important anyway uh so many featurettes it'll make your head explode gag reels and deleted scenes and all that stuff i'm not a fan of either of these films to be honest i i do not consider them canon uh they they belong really there's they're more they're closer to the star wars films they're part of JJ's canon they're not part of star trek canon um, but the the bottom line here is the Ultra HD, which is passable. I, I got to say, this doesn't look like they really took a great deal of time to maximize. It. Uh, clearly, they mastered these things in 4K. The digital files were there, and then I think they just flat out transferred it and, and compressed it a little bit for uh, 4K for UHD Blu-ray format uh, to just you know codec to codec. But it doesn't look like there was a lot of work or. Special attention made to sort of maximize it and master it accordingly, I think they just want to get these things out because there 's another Star Trek movie on the horizon, and let 's sell as much of our stock as we can and you know see if we can generate a little pre pre release buzz. I think it's a marketing decision, so I would not necessarily recommend these. I think uh, a, a better version is probably down the line somewhere. And if you have a Blu ray, the upconverted Blu ray is going to look just as well. So I do not recommend a double dip of these two films.
2: Well, I got to say, Paramount has really been uh, shanking this whole 50th anniversary of Star Trek.
1: They have. And, I mean, and there's
2: something that's, it, it has the feeling of like they weren't going to do anything. Then when people complained, they just scrambled and put together this and that. Mm. You know, there's yeah. no celebrations. There's no spe- – I, I don't – maybe at this point there's, there'll, there'll be a special on CBS. I have no idea. But it just seems like – and you know what? i got to say, in, in a year when sequels are tanking, mm-hmm. you've got Star Trek Beyond, which already has one foot in the grave because that horrible trailer that oh everybody hated. Now they've
1: – Oh, they tried to fix it. They fixed it with
2: a better yeah. trailer, but, yeah. I mean, it's still – the damage is done. I'm not really thinking this is like a
1: oh. – I don't know if Justin, I think
2: Independence Day might do better than Star Trek Beyond.
1: I'm so looking forward to Independence Day. It's gonna be good. I'm Come on. so looking forward to it, Tim. You got to be on board. I,
0: you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. this. Is this is this is my only problem with the notion? First about the Star Trek thing. You know, uh, who did we lose? We lost uh, we lost Leonard Nimoy. Yeah. Most recently. Yeah. Uh, uh McCoy is gone. Yeah. Uh, 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 uh Scotty's gone. Yeah. Uh, uh so we uh, we got we still got Chekhov and Zulu walking around, and and, we, uh, and of course Captain Kirk. And, all and, and, I and, want, and Michelle Nichols.
1: All I want is William Shatner and George Takei just trapped together in some... <laughs> that's what I want. Who has the no, sword? No.
2: Wait, what was that episode of the show? Wait, what was that episode of the show? I think it was um, Let That Be Your Last Battlefield or something where yeah. like the guy who's who's black on one side white on the other yeah, side... Yeah, that's it. That's the one. Where at at the end... Go Frank, some...
1: Frank Gorshin is the is the the guy, right? Who, yeah, and, yeah, and
2: then at the end, him. they go into some uh, dimension. Where they all they do is fight each other for all no, eternity. No, you're,
1: you're confusing. You're confusing two episodes. That? That's the alternative factor with the guy with. No, that's no, let there be. the Let whatever. that be your last battlefield. Is the two guys from the planet who are the last two of the ones half black, ones half white on the opposite sides, right? And they're 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 at war with each other. That was a, that was very much about racism. You are thinking about the alternative factor. Where the guy with the with the little beard shows up, and there are there are two dimensions and there are two versions of him, and they keep crossing and fighting each other in that little middle uh, ground. Oh, between, that's right, that, that's his, right. No, it, Lazarus A and Lazarus yes, B. Yes, because
2: Kirk goes down on the planet and he sees the and he sees the crashed craft on right. the planet,
1: and he meets the other guy and he realizes, oh, you're not the guy who's like. He goes, no. He's obsessed with me. He can't stand that I exist because you know we are alternate versions of each other. And then and they're in inside the thing, and he they have to trap each other in there so that the other guy they never if they ever meet in either dimension, the universe will come to an end or some such nonsense. So they have to. Kirk has to blow the machine up and trap them. We are nerds, man. We are so so pathetic. I cannot believe we're
2: no. Well, first of all, you're you're bigger nerd than me because I I had the episode wrong, but also that's what I want. Uh, George Decay, William Shatner. I want them to be trapped <laughs> in the dimension and then oh, struggle so for all badly. eternity. I want
1: that so bad. You realize badly.
2: that Shatner's going to bury all that whole... Sh- Shatner will bury that entire cast. Yeah, he will. He will live longer than any of them.
1: You, you, you realize how good he looks for the fact that... he What is he, 84 now? He looks really? fantastic. Yeah, yeah, he's like eighty-four. He yeah. looks fabulous. Yeah, it'll be
0: him and Michelle Nichols. Yeah, he was born in
1: thirty-one. He's born in thirty-one. I know that same same year as my mother and my father-in-law, who have both passed on. Yeah. He's born in thirty-one. He's a child of thirty-one. He's, he's he will be uh,
0: eighty-five this year and still working all the time
1: and oh,
2: still he's, uh, he's eighty-five. He's eighty-five now. He had, a, he yeah. had his eighty-fifth birthday on March twenty-second. There you go. By the way, may I just say yes that the c- two coolest people of our childhoods, Captain Kirk and Fonzie. Both yeah. Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> Putting it out there. Who knew that the coolest guys on TV were actually Jewish?
0: Uh, uh, and one's a Canadian. Uh, there you go.
1: Well, anyway, let's, uh, let's move on. We're going to talk a little British television before we wrap the show out. Tim, you, you, you're thank a you fan of this show. I am. I
0: really like Grantchester. It's really a, a, a neat show set in about 1953 uh, just outside Cambridge. And you have this guy who's a vicar, the vicar of the small town. And, you know, he ends up going around solving crimes and doing all that kind of stuff. Sort of a Miss Marple kind of thing going there. But what I like about this show is it delves into some really, really interesting sort of social constructs and conversations, Uh, including things to do with race and gender and uh, and sexuality – all very interesting stuff to have been talking about in nineteen fifty three, which is when this show takes place. Plus this guy's incredibly good looking.
1: It's a great show. Yeah. It's a really, really smart show. Really well written. Yeah, they've done it, they've done, a, they've, done a, they've done quite a number with it. And James Norton. Really? James good. Norton. Uh, really special
0: good. feature here, the making of Grandchester, uh, uh, the, the the trouble with Sydney and Geordie. It's an, it's a, anyway, um, a neat show. I love it when British television has the ability to do something that just doesn't happen. In American television. So, for one thing, they do historical dramas. Yeah, which I love. Recent history as well. as uh, We don't do that here. You don't see a whole bunch of television programs set in the 50s and 60s and 30s in America. Now, why is that? I I can tell Uh, you why it is. Because we had a problematic culture in the 50s and 30s and 40s in America. And in the UK, they had dealt with most of those issues. Yeah. Uh, already. And it's not that they didn't have any issues at all, but the culture itself was built in a different way. And it really, it's truncated a lot of the media that we have here. I would love to see some some programming set in the 40s and 50s, that post-war period, maybe even the 30s here in the United States, that just dealt with all of the issues that were of the day. You know what I mean? Grantchester, like it.
1: Absolutely. All right, so uh, Birds of a Feather is a British sitcom that was on television over a decade ago, and it is back, apparently. This is – I am unfamiliar with the previous incarnation of it, but um, it's a little bit like uh, Absolutely Fabulous. It just keeps coming back every so often, and uh, it's a little similar to that in some respects. It's not quite so unhinged. A couple of sisters and a good friend of theirs who uh, all move in together uh, kind of odd couple style, so it's like an odd triple and um, it is still very funny, and it is a smart show. Some really, really great uh, performances from Leslie Joseph, Linda Robson, and Pauline Quirk. Uh, originally a Broadchurch, if you've ever seen Broadchurch, she's great on it. Um, so that is uh, that is set one of Birds of a Feather, the the new version, the revived version that's out and uh, quite funny. There's also Suspects, Series One and Series Two from Acorn. Uh, which is a, a kind of a straight-up cop show, but really r- smart and quite well done. And, um, you know, it's it's all urban crime and, you know, b- the usual kind of British crime thing. It's uh, it, it's not really exceptional, but it's on the same level as some of their best stuff. Uh, we've got Doctor Who, The Underwater Menace from the Patrick Trofton years in the uh, mid to late
0: 1960s. I love Doctor uh, doctor, I'm, I'm 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 a Tom Baker guy. Yeah, yeah, but that's okay. Patrick was a great Doctor he Who. He was a good Doctor. He who. was a surly bastard. <laughs> I just really loved. him. He was him. the
1: last of the crusty, crotchety older Doctor Who's from uh, in the 1960s before Baker and uh, and the and the young the yeah, young yeah, guns took yeah, over. Yeah, the William so,
0: Hartnell kind of guy. Yeah,
1: yeah. So the the under the underwater menace uh, is, uh, is is is. I mean, this is all in black and white, by the way. This is just so you're, so you're prepared for this. This is from 1967. And uh, it's all it takes place in Atlantis, which is done in a really cheesy yet strange and weird and compelling way. So The Underwater Menace comes from Atlantis also got "Call the Midwife" season five. I'm amazed at how long this show uh, keeps uh, carrying on. Uh,
0: Another excellent British drama. It is isn't beautifully it? done, cinematic, in wonderful, every way.
1: Wonderful period stuff, and uh, all of it. You know, I, I mean, here's the thing that I love most: it's got Jenny Agutter in it, and yes, Yay. just right. Jenny Agutter, Logan's run. Logan's run. Jenny Agutter, who just was the, the.
2: She was also in uh, something.
1: Oh, everything! Oh, but it doesn't matter. She's just wonderful. She continues to be absolutely wonderful. It, I don't care what age she is. I wanted to keep doing stuff forever. It uh, keeps my youth alive. Anyway, uh, no, it's absolutely delightful. Wonderful, wonderful drama. Uh, Call the Midwife, season five on Blu-ray. That's from BBC. Uh, and oh, then she
2: was in Captain America: Winter Soldier. Well,
1: oh, that's right. Yes, yeah, she's, that the, she's one of the she's uh, one of the the council, the, uh, council people. Yeah, uh, Detectorists is hilarious. Uh, we missed the first season of this. This is Detectorists series two. With Mackenzie Crook and Toby Jones, and they are just absolutely beyond hilarious. Have either of you seen The de- Detectorist? I have not seen that. This, yeah. is, this is an absolute laugh riot about a couple of guys who belong to a metal-detecting club. Um, they're looking for they're looking for Saxon treasure uh, buried somewhere in the English countryside. It is, it's just a riot. It's an absolute hoot. The fact that – and apparently this really exists. There really are metal-detecting clubs, like guys who go out with their –
0: be better to look for Roman treasure buried in the well, you know. countryside. Probably wouldn't wouldn't be metal.
1: It, it, well, it, it might be. It might be some kind of a, you know metallurgy, yeah. Bronze Age. You could go all the way back. Uh, and then, uh, Life of Verdi from Acorn is a biography about the uh, great Italian composer. Um, it is one of the uh, it's one of the more interesting uh, television biographies I think I've ever seen. It is really really elaborate. Verdi's life is quite dramatic. I think this verges on being too long it is 11 hours which is uh quite a slog it didn't need to be that long but it is uh quite nicely put together and uh you know for especially made in 1980 which is sort of the golden age of the miniseries when these things were trying for something a little more cinematic you're kind of around roots and shogun and uh in the Thornbirds and uh, centennial and that's when all masada, that, all, masada that stuff, all that yeah. stuff was happening on american television so they were going for something a little bit more sophisticated uh on british television as well so it is decent but 11 hours in seven episodes is is quite a slog and uh then lastly the last panthers which is uh, quite a treat because you get John Hurt. And anytime John Hurt shows up in any cast, however however minor, however uh, much of a token uh, cast member he is, it's pretty great. Um, there's even, by the way, these now a David Bowie theme for this series, which is really terrific. So uh, The Last Panther is really, uh, really quite a, a fascinating, uh, powerful uh, miniseries. It takes place uh, centered around a diamond heist in uh, the south of France. And uh, beautifully, beautifully put together, Uh, international cast. Tahir Rahim is, uh, or Tahar Rahim, really, really excellent in this. Samantha Morton also shows up as uh, her usual excellent self um, fascinating shot in seven different countries in five languages uh, very very impressive uh, bit for television so um, you know six hours flies by with this thing it is really really impressive great miniseries The Last Panthers on Blu-ray and on DVD but get it on Blu-ray because it's just it's like a movie for television this is one of the this is if we we're talking British miniseries one of the best things they've done in a very, very long time. So, uh, John Hurt, Samantha Morton, Tahar Rahim—really, really great. The Last Panthers, gentlemen. Thank you so much for being here. Tim, thank you for having me, guys. Tim Tim, 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 yes. And, That's uh, what
0: sends me back to hell.
1: And we will. Uh, we wish you well with your uh, with your bit for John Raby. Uh Mark. We will You wish re- me well for anything. No. I, well, you got a date, don't you?
2: I have a date tonight.
1: Well, good. Thank I hope you. it goes well. It really does. Okay.